So here we have the story of Mary and Elizabeth. Mary was the mother of Jesus and Elizabeth was Jesus' aunt. Now, aunts are cool, yeah? I'm an aunt. Aunts are way cool. And I bet that Jesus' Aunt Lizzie was no different. In fact, here in her story, although we don't know all of it, what we're going to do is explore the significance it has to Christmas and the connection it has with healing hope at Christmas time. Now, you've just heard some of that story read to you, and I know it was a big chunk of scripture, right? But sometimes you've got to know the whole story to understand. I mean, even when we read the Bible itself, we don't have the whole story because I don't know about you, but I wasn't there. So we only get the snippet that they tell us, right? So we, we chose to read all of that this morning. So at least we get most of the whole story or the picture. So what do we know about Elizabeth? Well, a number of times you would have heard them say she was old. Now, I'm not calling anybody in this room or online old today, but they do say she was advanced in age more than 60. Now, 60 is not old. 60 is like the new 40. We know that, okay? But she was old. What else do we know? Well, she was from a priestly family, which she was from a line of serving God, and she was married to a priest. His name was Zechariah. She was Mary's older cousin. We know that it says explicitly she loved God, she followed the commandments and laws, and she kept a clear conscience with God. We also know she was barren and unable to have children. Now, what was she like? Well, I don't know. She she was a childless woman. So I I want to give you some context around that. She was living in a time where barrenness was seen as a curse from God or that God had forgotten you, right? Or he was withholding blessing from you. It was a time where fertility was a gift and you were seen as being blessed or remembered by God. But see, here's the paradox. She was a lover of God. She kept herself completely before him to vow. But see, she was seemingly forgotten by him. That's what culture told her. Now, we know today that infertility has a whole bunch of physiological things attached to it. But they didn't have those medical advancements back then. They only had this spiritual aspect as a point of reference. Add to that that there was a big social stigma attached to women who didn't have children in those days, married women. And even the angel felt to announce people called her barren, but now she's not, right? So we know this was a big deal in Elizabeth's life. So what what did that do to her? Did she go about her days really quiet, pretending to be unnoticed, not wanting people to see her because she knew they were really talking about her behind her back? Was she bitter about it? Was she ashamed? Was she without hope? I I don't know the answer to any of these things, but this is what the Bible does tell me, so this is what I do know. She kept her heart focused on God, on living for him and serving him. She remained faithful to him despite what others might have said about her or what they thought about her or what culture labelled her as. Did she believe God had forgotten her? Well, I don't know, but she kept herself before God's face and living for him. You see, sometimes as people, and I know that in this room today and watching online, there are a lot of people who would call themselves like Elizabeth, people who are devout followers of God, people who are following Jesus, people who are keeping themselves before God's face. Sometimes when we do that, we can expect life to go a certain way. Anybody felt themselves thinking, hey, I love Jesus or I follow God, so that means my life's going to go this way. We have a plan. 
We think, oh, I'm gonna, I've got my quiver full of these promises God's given me. I know where I want my life to head. And we start to head in that direction. But see, then stuff happens in life that we just can't explain. I'm gonna call it this morning the X factor, okay? Things we can't explain. Stuff, life just throws at us along the way. Now, being a Christian or a follower of Jesus, can I just remind you, does not make you immune to life. Life still happens. Because Jesus is, is so incredible that he comes to be our wonderful counsellor. He comes to be our mighty God. He comes to be our Prince of Peace. He comes to be our healer. He comes to be our salvation. He comes to be all the things he knows we are going to need in life. He doesn't wrap people who love him in a bubble and say, just exist till you get to heaven and then you'll be fine. In fact, he says, you're going to live in the world just like I did, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. That's what his name Emmanuel means, God with us. So we can be doing all the things we know to do, loving God, going to church, serving in church, tithing, watching the live stream. Hey guys, doing all of those things, right? But what happens when our expectations go unmet in life? What happens when our dreams are deferred? What happens when the X factor we didn't equate for happens? A family rift, a diagnosis. What happens when grief, loss or hardship come our way? What happens to our hope and our expectation? What happens to how we follow Jesus? So here we've got Elizabeth and Zechariah. I bet they didn't plan on the X factor of barrenness. Now, being a priestly family and him being a priest, they would have been known among people, right? There would have been an expectation they would have had kids who would have gone on to somehow be in the priestly service as well. But it didn't happen, the X factor. Had they given up hope? Well, maybe Zachariah did because his response to the angel was, how can I believe you? We're too old for this. Are you serious? Well, that's my paraphrase, but pretty much that's what he said, right? But Elizabeth, maybe she hadn't given up all hope. I, I bet beyond a doubt her hope was fractured. I bet it was dull. I bet it was hurt. But maybe she hadn't given out all hope because the day she found out she was pregnant, this was her response. So she went off by herself for five months, relishing in her pregnancy. So this is how God acts to remedy my unfortunate condition. That's what she says. Now, if you know me, you know I like to look it up in different translations. It says, how kind is the Lord, she exclaimed. He's taken away my disgrace of having no children. Or the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, to respond like that just doesn't sound like a bitter old woman to me. You know, to respond like that, I'm thinking, maybe. Just maybe she was holding out, holding out hope for the day God would extend kindness and mercy to her. Did she expect it to come in the form of a baby? I don't know. But I'm thinking if just as she remained faithful to him, I bet she had tucked away in her heart that glimmer of hope that he was going to show herself faithful. He was going to show himself faithful to her. So I guess that we can hold on to that that it might not look how we expect, 
I'm sure a 60-year-old woman living in 60, you know, in um, living in BC times, where they didn't have the medical advancements of today, surely didn't think, "Yep, yeah, I'm going to fall pregnant and have a son," right? But here's what I want to say: If we're open to it, and if we hold on to hope, in the funniest of ways, God will restore our hope. He will heal us, and He will bring us through those X-factor moments in life. Now, why did she hide? I know you're all asking, weren't you? Why did she hide, right? Right, good. Well, there's a lot of varied opinions, right? But here's one that I could find that a lot of people agreed on. She, held, she hid for five months to allow God to do the work in her that he promised he would do. So the promise spoke for itself when she re-emerged from five months of hiding, suddenly pregnant, right? I mean, when you're in your early days of pregnancy, Usually a lot of people wait to tell people to maybe that 10, 12 week mark because, you know, you're just feeling a lot more confident with the fact that you are now pregnant. Anyone who's had a baby before would know. Um, and, but, but after a while, yeah, you can't hide it. It speaks for itself. You walk into the room and it walks in before you, right? So now all of a sudden this woman that for 40 plus years was barren walks into a room and what are they going to call her now? What are they going to call her now? They're going to say, look what God has done. Look what God did in her life. God did that. No one else did that. God did that. And I think the story tells us that because there's something we can learn. Sometimes we don't need to announce what God has done in our lives. God wants to be the one to announce it. And so much so that an angel announced it to Mary. And guys, there was no Facebook there was no phone. There was no way to get a message from where I lived to where you lived unless someone went. Like I'm sure carrier pigeon is a myth. I don't think it worked, okay? So the angel announced it. God said, this is what I'm doing and this is what I've done. And that Elizabeth went, and then Mary went to go see it, right? So that's the good thing, that we don't always need to announce what God does. He wants to announce it in us. So that story for Elizabeth is a story of God restoring hope. And he does that not just for her, he does it today. God restores our hope because that is who he is. He can't help but do that. When you invite God into your life, when you invite him into the situations, the X factors of life, even the good every day, when you invite him in, he can't help but restore hope because he is hope. That's what he does because it's who he is. He's a God of restoration. And see, Christmas is a celebration of the hope of the world entering it as flesh for the first time. So this is where we put a pause on the Elizabeth part of the story. And we're going to flip over to Mary. Here we have a young girl, maybe about 14 or 15. She is engaged to be married. And God has a surprise for her. Now, when I was 15, a surprise would have been a new pair of shoes or meeting Brad Pitt. One or the other, right? Let's think about, I have, a, I have a teenage daughter. Let's think about what life is going to be like for her in a couple of years when she hits 15 or what life's like for the average teenage girl. I'll preface that today. It's a world of friends. It's a world of makeup, social media, all of those things, right? Music, school. But let's think about what life was like for a 15-year-old girl back then when Mary was alive. It would have been a world of family, domestic duties, and in Mary's case, preparation for her upcoming marriage. But a baby? One day, yeah, but not now. But as the angel spoke, who knows when they speak, 
it's going to happen, right? So here we have a young girl suddenly pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'd say surprise was an understatement, okay? In this part of the story, it's actually hard to see hope being healed. See, in this part of the story, it looks like hope is being fractured and broken. We've got a young girl with her whole life before her, and then suddenly it gets interrupted. Let's call it the X factor. She didn't account for being pregnant with God's child before she got married. But I got thinking, maybe, just maybe, maybe Mary had prayed one of those prayers. You know, I wonder if you've ever prayed it. God, I give you my life. No matter what the cost, God, have your will in me. I wonder if Mary had prayed one of those prayers. What if that was God actually answering Mary's prayer? See, there's a lot of what ifs we can entertain when we look at the story of, of, of the nativity. And when we look at what we know, we can look at Mary's response. Now, I would have had a Zechariah kind of response if it were me. Uh, are you kidding, angel? I think you got the wrong person. Not me. I'm going to get married. We're going to go on a fabulous honeymoon, get a house, travel, and then maybe kids in a couple of years' time, right? That would have been my kind of, this can't be right. But not Mary. And I think God must have known how she was going to react because he knew he'd pick the right person for the job. This is her response. Yes, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. So she pretty much said this, even so, let it be so. See, Mary says that, and then she doesn't waste a minute. She goes off in obedience to the place where Elizabeth is. That's the place where the goodness and promises of God are already on display. She goes to see what God is already doing. I'm going to give you a little side note here, and this one's for free, okay? Sometimes while we are making sense of the seasons in our life, sometimes while we're making sense of the promises of God, or we might be in a season of waiting, can I encourage you? Stick around with people who are relishing in the goodness of God. That is what Elizabeth did. She went away for five months, not to hide because she was ashamed of being pregnant, but because God was doing such an incredible thing in her life and she was celebrating it every moment. Like those swelling ankles, she was lifting hands to praise. Those, you know, heartburn moments, she was saying, thank you, Jesus, because this is what she'd waited all her life for. And see, Mary knows that the promise of God and the goodness of God is over where Elizabeth is because the angels told her, go see. It's already happened for one. It's going to happen for you the same. And so she went to go and do that. So for us, let's do that. Let's hang around with people who are relishing in the goodness of God, who are relishing in the promises, who are holding on to hope while we're in a season of waiting. So we've got these two women who now come together, right? And when they do, when they meet one another, Elizabeth is instantly filled with the Holy Spirit because, duh, Mary carrying Jesus brings the Holy Spirit with her. She's instantly filled with the Holy Spirit. John does this happy dance inside of Elizabeth and it causes Elizabeth to instantly sing out, how blessed am I that the mother of my Lord visits me. Now, what an odd greeting, right? We don't talk to each other like that today. How could Elizabeth know? How could she know that Jesus was in there? There's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit revealed it only by the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, what we see is hope is restored in a new way. Hope for humanity 
is restored in that moment. That's actually the moment that Jesus gets welcomed and recognised into the world for who he is. Like Mary gets told, you're going to have a baby and he's going to be the son of God and you're going to call him Jesus. Joseph has a dream which um, the angel says, you're, you know, she, she's um, going to be pregnant with a son. It's all good. It's God's doing. But this is the moment that someone who didn't know suddenly knows Jesus gets recognised for who he is. My Lord, my Lord is in there. And hope for humanity in that moment becomes restored because in those days, they were waiting for the Redeemer. They were waiting for the Saviour. Elizabeth and Mary's families and the generations before them were praying and waiting and praying and waiting. And finally, in this moment, he arrives. He's here. Hope, they're on the precipice of the cliff. Hope is there. We can see it now. He's here. Hope is being restored in that moment for all of humanity. So we've got these two pregnant cousins whose lives couldn't be more different, right? Advanced in age, was barren, now pregnant, super young, life hasn't even started yet, also pregnant, right? And God is working in crazy ways to bring about his purpose on the earth. He's restoring hope in them personally, but he's bringing hope to the whole world through these two women. What do we learn from their stories? We learn this. Healed hope becomes a sign of hope to others. That is what we learn from this story. You see, Elizabeth is five months pregnant and it was a sign of hope to Mary that God is true to his word. Mary visits Elizabeth. She ushers in the movement of the Holy Spirit and Elizabeth is awakened to hope for salvation. It's coming, it's on the way. When Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she, and she speaks out a declaration of who Jesus is and who Mary is, all of a sudden hope in Mary is restored again. It's like, it's okay. My life isn't over. I am part of a bigger plan and God knows what he's doing. Now, the Bible's very clear that Mary believed at the beginning when the angel spoke to her, right? But I also know that we as people can believe something but still have a little sliver of doubt that creeps up in our mind every now and then, right? Imagine being told it, you believe it, but then you go and see it. Then you know, yeah, this is going to happen. Your hope in that moment is restored. It's not, it's not a my life's not over moment. It's not one of those X factor moments where you go, I cannot pick myself up from this moment. It's one of those moments because Jesus has walked in you know that hope is going to be restored in that moment. What we also learn from Mary and Elizabeth is that our stories are never just our own. In this room, online, everywhere in our community, our stories are woven together. The way we manage life, the way we walk through our hopes, our fears, our disappointments, our joys, our victories, our trials and our triumphs, they can all usher in hope and bring hope to other people. You see, we may not impact the entire course of history or the world like Elizabeth and Mary did, but the way we usher hope into our circumstances will be the way that we can help usher hope into the people's lives around us. We will impact their lives. When they see hope healed in us, that's a sign for them that their hope can be healed. We learn from the lives of Elizabeth and Mary that keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus welcoming Jesus in, in all that he is, heals hope, restores our life and positions us to live 
bigger lives than we could have ever imagined. A surrendered life leads to hope every time. Both of these women were, were spoken of as being lovers of God, who followed God. That's the common denominator here. They kept God before them. And so they got to carry hope. They got to have their hope restored and usher in hope for us sitting here today. It's a pretty radical thought when you think about it. Now, I wonder today if you can identify with any parts of these ladies' stories. And you don't need to be a lady to be able to identify with them. I bet at some point, pretty much every person in this room or watching today, you've had your hope dashed, you've had it fractured, you've had it dulled by life, by those X factors. Have you been like Elizabeth, experiencing barrenness in your life, labelled by what people might have said about you? But deep down in your heart, you tuck away that smallest glimmer of hope that you know, that you know, that you know that God in his way and in his time is going to come through for you. Or like Mary, have you felt like you've got the best laid plans before you? You know where your life is headed and it's ready to go. But then life, those X factors happen and then you're just not so sure anymore. Can you still see the goodness of God work out for you? Can you still keep trusting him in those moments? I just hope today can be your reminder that a surrendered life, one that focuses on God, one that puts him before you and one that keeps his word as more important than any circumstance, it keeps his word higher and above anything anyone might say or what a circumstance tries to dictate to you, keeps that before you because that will keep hope before you. And as we keep hope before us, man, we are healed in and through what's going on in our lives. So this is why Jesus came. He came on that first Christmas and he actually comes to us every day for this very reason, to be Emmanuel, to be God with us, to be the one who heals us, to be the one who restores us and to be the one who brings hope to us. Yeah. Hope is a person. His name is Jesus and meeting him changes everything.